This is the Lapco Fitness Podcast. Don't miss out on plenty more podcasts on www.lapcofitness.com. If you wish to submit any questions, also visit the same website, www.lapcofitness.com. Please enjoy this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first Lapco Fitness Podcast. Today I have with me Joshua Nademan. Hey, hey. What's up, guys and ladies and everyone? Yeah, <laughs> I think everyone. <laughs> that's a that's a nice, uh, good introduction. Um, that was a terrible introduction. Don't lie to me. <sighs> it's, it's it's terrible. It, it is was. terrible. It's but that's okay. fine. It's uh, we're here to learn. We're not here to learn how to introduce ourselves. We're here to learn to get big biceps. These are not considered big at lab coat yet. Uh, Josh would say they're puny. Um, that's fine. I mean, you know, uh, it's all about comparisons. We're, we're here to learn. Okay? Yeah. We're here to learn to get big biceps. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not uh, about having somebody else's biceps. It's about figuring out how to make your own stretch your shirt sleeves. Exactly. That's the goal here. I'm that's trying what to it's go, about. I'm trying to get an L. <laughs> okay, anyway, moving on. So at, at these podcasts, the AMA podcasts, we get questions from you. This first one is a bit different because we got questions during the pre-launch. The other podcast will be getting questions. Will be getting questions from the website. Uh, you can check all that out on labcofitness.com. Uh, in the meantime, we'll answer the questions we have been sent in via the email. And you want to get to it, Josh? Sure. Do this. Go for it. Hit me up. I all don't right, have so, my document open, so you're going to guide me through it. This is this is much fun. more ad lib than people realize. <laughs> this is really ad lib. <laughs> yeah. This so is. the first question uh, is Coldano. Okay, who's that guy? I have no idea. <laughs> he sounds who's Cold? Sounds like somebody pretty cool. Coldano. What you know? What you you tell what something about Coldano? Man, I've known Cole since uh, I think 2011, and we met. At a uh, gymnastic body seminar a million years ago, back before the business got started and the uh, feel of the place changed, and so uh, he just we just stayed in touch. And then a couple years later, I ended up over in Finland for a couple of days teaching a seminar on advanced training and uh, specifically nutrition for elite athletes and people who are already on track to be a national competitor. And how things are a little bit different in that arena and what matters and what doesn't, you know. And so he hosted me there. He hooked everything up. Uh, he and his wife are really fantastic people. I don't know what to say. Also, Finland has great chocolate, man. Oh, my God. The Carl Fazer <laughs> really? is really, really good. But well. so we stayed in touch. And then, uh, you know... I finished college, started medical school, and at some point, you know, for a long time, I've wanted to do something that is evidence-based and takes advantage of what we know about human physiology and sports science and a bunch of other stuff that people don't care about that allows us to become better athletes with the time that we have, right? And that means different things. Some people want to look good. Some people want to run fast. Some people just want to lift something heavy. There's a million different goals out there. Those are just three of them. And whatever it is, we're all in remarkably similar machines. And so whatever else we are, these bodies are machines. And they've inherited different aspects of our ancestors' abilities, right? Whatever worked well in certain areas tended to get passed on. And then there's been a lot of mixing over the last several thousand years, and especially the last 200 years as travel's opened up. So it's really, really important to have a perspective that says, okay, research says this. This is the average, but this is, and then break it down and say, you know what? What does that really mean for the individual? How do you turn that into what you need? And that's what Lab Coat's all about, is about taking the very generalized things that are out there, filtering them through the additional knowledge that we have from medical school genetics and a number of other things and coming up with a system that allows each person to figure out what their body needs right now and to keep up with what it's going to need in the future, right? <clears throat> it's starting, it's figuring out where point A is for you 
and moving forward as far as you want to go without you having to really know anything. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, so so we basically went from who is Cole Dano to what is Labco Fitness. Yeah, that kind of so ran because a... Cole is the reason that Labcoat Cole... is happening. Just like you're yeah, the reason that we have definitely. content. Like, because these guys stay on me and that's really important because I have a lot going on, you know? I have an hour of travel every day. I have a pregnant wife. My father lives with me. He's 86 and medically complicated. And, uh, you know, and doing fantastic, by the way. I mean, he's gotten more exercise in the last two months than he has in the last five years. And uh, Great. he's doing incredible. But I am, I'm very busy and it's easy for me to get lost in stuff. And I'm ADD to begin with. So it, I need people to keep me on track. And uh, they do that. Uh-uh. And without them nothing would happen so yeah and that that's that's thank you thank you josh and without josh we wouldn't have labco fitness because he's the the mind the content mind you know he he basically <laughs> morphed me into the athlete i am now the reason why i'm doing malteses victorians and shit is because of this guy so uh josh thank you thank you for that uh enough bromance though let's move on to the next question uh, so, uh, Michael Moore, thank you for your question. The next question is Wait, from is this Tommaso. the guy who wrote, uh, that McDonald's thing back oh. in the day? Or is it a different Michael Moore? <laughs> this is a, I, I, I hope it's a different Michael Moore. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I was just curious. Sorry. All right. So, the next question is from Tommaso Casaniga. Uh, sorry for the mispronunciation, which is, which is, it's probably mispronounced by me. And he asks... Does the three-second eccentric rule apply no matter what you're training for? Absolutely not. Good question for you. Okay, well. Yeah, and so please, that elaborate. may surprise people, but there's a difference in how you train for size and how you train for speed and how you train for power, how you train for agility, um, how you train for very slow controlled movements. So depending on what you're doing and where you're at in a training cycle, you're going to change almost everything about the way you approach your exercises. And that's just something Mm -hmm. people are not very well connected with. I mean, it makes sense when you hear it. But then the next question is, uh, well, what should I do now? And of course, they asked, they, they skipped a couple of the really important ones, like, what are your abilities in these different areas right now? And what are you, what do you need right now? And that means, a better evaluation it means that you need to we need to know what your goals are before that conversation can mean anything otherwise you get 20 different answers from 20 different people each one could be very good in the right situation but none of them might be what this person wants and so that's really uh that's what i'll say about that so the three second eccentric rule is specific excuse me specifically for when you are focusing on building new muscle mass And the reason for that is that we're looking to strike a balance between the signals that cause muscle growth, which are complicated and I'm not going to get into on this question, and the uh, inevitable muscle damage that comes along with it. There's a myth that damage causes growth, and that is completely untrue. Um, Damage is an unavoidable part of the process that triggers growth, just like exhaust is an unavoidable part of running a combustion engine. It doesn't mean you need exhaust for an engine to run. It just means that it's an inherent part of the process and you shouldn't be looking to produce more exhaust. You should be focused on what that engine is supposed to do and let the exhaust be what it will be. And then there's, of course, people who know more about motors understand that, you know, there's pressure things yeah. and all this other stuff. So, yes, it's more complicated than that. But the bottom line is that damage happens, but it is not causative. And the sooner people get that in their heads, um, the easier it will be to move on and train smarter. Well, so can I ask a question? When, when would, so when would you stop trying to build muscle then? If you were a weight class athlete, there's an obvious limit to the amount of muscle you can carry and still compete in your preferred weight class. Uh, that's can gonna... you still get stronger then? Yeah, up to a point. So um, everybody's got inherent limits. You know, there are a lot of things that go into strength. 
the the biggest part of it is muscle mass because that is the fundamental underlying ceiling, right? Everything else is about how that mass is used. And depending on the muscle group we're talking about, it's architectural structure, like pinnation angle and things like that. And so those things can shift and they can cause, um, you know, off the top of my head, you can get about a 20% strength increase from uh, in certain muscle groups from a pinnation angle shift, 15 to 20, something like that. And uh, well, we'll talk about well, that separately. It doesn't matter what it means. It's good for people to start okay. learning and asking their own questions because uh, that's a part of what this is about, right? And then, but those things are modifications to mass that already exists. And if you are bigger, you are always going to be stronger than the you at a smaller size. You may not be stronger than somebody else, right? And that's its own question as to why are some people stronger than others at the same body weight? It's, it's a, a beautifully simple answer, but the question hasn't been asked yet, so we're not going to go there. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're gonna discuss that off camera later on. Yeah, boy. Because uh, he's he's got me even uh, freaking interested in that. So, Tommaso, I hope that uh, you know sort of answers your question and op- opened up a lot of more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to the next question, which is uh, from Abdul Ghani Memon. Why do I pronounce everything American like I'm not even American? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, he asked, how can one stay disciplined, motivated each day to complete their workout? I love working out and I enjoy the results, but for some reason, I always have difficulty to actually go and exercise. Yeah. Well, th- you're not you're not the only one. No, you're he's not. The not. Only one that that, that pops up uh, at least once a week on the various fitness subreddits. And so the short answer is that you need to show up. And you need to have something written down so that you're not dependent on you in the moment for those days. Um, If you show up and you have a plan, all you need to do is execute the plan. And for most people, that's more of a challenge than we think it should be. But life gets busy. There's a lot of stuff that happens that affects us in ways that we don't expect. And that's a part Mm -hmm. of being alive and being human. And that's, that's a very individual answer, you know. Some people, uh, it depends on the time in life. Like right now, it's very hard for me because I'm tired all the time because I'm a medical resident and uh, an intern on top of that. And I'm in med-peds, so uh, I have two specialties to learn, not one. And they're both like the two broadest specialties on the planet. So there's a lot going on there. Plus we're doing business stuff. Plus I'm building the lab. So, uh, you know, walls are almost complete. Lighting is on the floor and wired and is going up later today. What's the lab? The lab. What's the lab? The lab is going to be one of our filming facilities. Uh, it's going to be really, really cool. I have a 40 by 40 foot tractor shed that, uh, right now about a third of it is lined with stall mats and gym equipment. I have built walls so that we have space for filming, good lighting. It looks professional and um, we'll have space for sponsors as things like that appear in the future. And uh, are uh, you? Yeah. So we're, we're, we have a lot of plans that are moving forward, and that space is a part of making sure that we can continue to grow as a company and as a community and to give the quality that people deserve. Yeah. So that's awesome. With, so, how do I stay motivated? Uh, sometimes I'm not, man. Sometimes, uh, and when I say sometimes, I can tell you that two weeks out of every month, I am not motivated. Why two weeks out of every month? Because for two weeks out of every month, I am on an inpatient service and I am working an official 80 hours or so. Um, with my drive time, that becomes 94 hours. And if you, if you do a little bit of math and you, know, you say, all right, well, these are 13-hour work days. And then five, two more hours for travel if I go home. Uh, all of a sudden, I have seven hours. Well, I have like, I have, I guess, nine hours in, left in the 24-hour day, right? You still need to eat? You still need to sleep? Yeah, I mean, like, I still any, have notes. Any family time? Dude, I still have notes to finish. Well, That's it. Gone. All time gone. That's the way that it works. That's that's called being a resident. 
Um, and everybody knows it's true, uh, especially as an intern. You know, we, we do become more efficient, but uh, it is hard. <sighs> it's, it's hard to finish before, you know, nine o'clock. Like we clock out and then we go home and we take care of the rest of our stuff because that's the nature of the workload that we have. And so I don't stay motivated. I just try and remember to do a few small things at work when I can, you know. Some rotations just don't let me. And when I can't do that, I honestly don't worry about it. I just call those an unavoidable two weeks off. Uh, on my one day a week where I'm off, I sleep a lot, I eat, and I will work out that day. And so I will just have a much harder workout on that day. And I, I probably won't really feel like it, but I'll do it anyway because I, I would like to at least maintain the body that I built to some degree. And so... Uh, makes sense for that one. It's more of the, that falls under discipline, not motivation. You know, motivation yeah. is an emotional high in a way. Um, and everybody understands you can't be high all the time, no matter how much you try, even Cheech and Chong. So for my older people out there who know who that is and no idea. Yeah. They were these crazy guys in the seventies who were really, I, I always was entertained. They just smoked enormous amounts of marijuana and were always high. <laughs> That was their thing. That's what they were known for. Set them for life. Very funny. Um, <clears throat> the the thing with, with motivation, you know, when we have new projects coming up, that gets me motivated. When I know that, like, so we have our you, goals tend to bring both motivation and discipline. The setting of goals, I think, brings motivation because you put something on paper. So to answer the question more directly... Um, to have motivation, you have to have a goal that has emotional meaning to you. That's yeah. one of, and, and that's one of the things like so many people are depressed, you know, because, and there's a lot of different reasons, you know, everybody has inherited different, uh, sort of, uh, vulnerabilities to depression, but we all have the ability to become depressed and, about 80% of us will experience it at least once in our lives. So the, uh, you know, why does it happen? And a lot of it is because the things that we have in our lives don't really involve our dreams. We are not working to create something that doesn't exist yet, right? Because that's what a dream is. It doesn't exist yet, but it could. Lab coat was very motivating, this whole process, getting this, like knowing that I, I am, I've been very motivated by wanting to film. So I have been building this gym. I've been collecting equipment over the years and now we're lighting it and getting everything arranged so we can actually teach with it so that I can go in and have a great place to work out, to host people, you know, it's just all kinds of things that motivates me. And when that's built, and done, I'm going to be going over there every morning, even if it's for five minutes. And that's something that I've already been doing. I just make it a part of my morning routine. I sacrifice five minutes of sleep, sometimes unsuccessfully. And uh, when I do it right, which is at least half the days of the week, I go over there and I do 10, 15 minutes of stuff, and then I leave. You know? And, that's uh, good, that's good. Yeah, because I want, I want to show you guys that... Even when you're busy, you can do it. You know, yeah. I am not uh, perfect, and I don't have the body I had 11 years ago. Far from it. Um, you know, I've had a lot of injuries, and those can be demotivating too <coughs> when you know you have limits. Oh, hell yeah! You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's but that's that's the difficult thing is you need to find meaning, even if it's small. Don't be grand necessarily. Find something that you want to achieve. And then the discipline comes with the daily doing. So to get motivated, you kind of have to run yourself through, like, what's this going to be? What am I creating? Get yourself back into the idea that you love. And then move. Get out. Do. Achieve. Accomplish. Because motivation doesn't work when you know you're lying. When you say, I want to do this, but you have taken zero steps forward, you can't fool yourself. Right, And that can be a very, very difficult cycle to break once it gets started. Mm -hmm. And that's where you just that's where discipline really allows you to recover motivation when you've lost it. 
and motivation allows you to maintain discipline. So they're both very important. Uh, they're very heavily intertwined. They don't really exist separately. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's, I guess this was a much longer winded answer than I intended because it's important and it's, it's complicated. And it's, it's, it's one of the easy. most important things. Yeah. Because like, if you think about it, if you, if, you, if you have a good training routine, your nutrition is good. But if you don't put the work in, nothing's going to happen. Compliance is the most, like, the, those three right. pillars are very important. But right. If one of them drops, you got nothing. And, and one you, of the, you need, well, I was going to say, you know, I, I was, while you were doing that, I was thinking, and I, uh, I think that one of the big things is being a part of a community, whether it's in person or on online and posting things regularly. Show people what you've been it doing. Helps. Yeah. Don't care. Don't even check what people say about it unless you've submitted a form check. Just turn commenting off, don't look at it, whatever, and just post. Just be a sure. part of it. Yeah, yeah. because now you have joined a group. I always was more motivated by far when I was taking my buddies Andrew and Brian to the gym because I wanted to show them what they were capable of. I wanted to show them to yeah. show themselves what they were capable of, and we all had a great time. But ne- not none of us would have worked as hard as we did if we were in it by ourselves. And so, I mean, that's the magic behind CrossFit. People keep going because they're seeing their friends. And You're so right. I think yep. that keeping that in your life in some way, I don't care if it's Bar Stars, I don't care if it's us, I don't care really where it is, you know, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, the subreddits you love... Be a part of something and post regularly. Yeah. Yeah, it's also um, going back to the discipline motivation thing. How I do it basically is I noticed having a routine in my life really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did a speech on this yesterday. I, I was I, I got my bachelor. Uh, I graduated and they asked if I could give a speech as a valedictorian. And they uh, basically asked, how, how is it that you could set up a company work out 25 hours a week and still get like uh, you know good good grades for medicine basically it's if if you have habits if you have a routine in life everything's gucci you know having that helps of course i was always motivated uh because i had a i started when i was 14 and um once you get that track running and you're really into in that cycle it's hard to break that and i actually broke that cycle like a year ago, mm-hmm. and now I'm f- finally getting back into the track, and I'm making huge gains. You know, Maltese, Victorians, life is good. <laughs> and that so, was tough for you. I mean, you you definitely went through some personal difficulties, and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it takes time to get over that. And I think that uh, giving yourself permission to be less than perfect in that process is the key to making it through successfully. Yes, sir. Right, because we always talked and just said, you know, just do something. I don't care if it's one set. Just just do something and get out. Don't have Yeah, I, like yeah. Today for example, I just walked into the gym. Uh I didn't feel like working at all cuz my knees felt bad and my my elbows are, are still recovering. But I just did a bunch of stuff, really lightweight, but I did stuff and it mm-hmm. kept me motivated and now I'm going tomorrow back to the gym and do another bunch of stuff and just it's not the plan that I'm following, but it's it's still I'm doing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. keeping myself going, not refraining myself from not doing anything because I'm usually a, an all-nothing guy. I either do all of it or I do nothing. But now, I've grown up. You're doing an exceptionally good job, really, because <laughs> that's the key, you know. That's uh, that's funny. Can Now, this is switching gears, but you mentioned your elbows. Why don't you tell people, because uh, this is a very common experience, I think it's good for people to know that even uh, highly accomplished people who are up and coming can have this happen to them because it's easy to be excited and it's easy to love what you do and it's hard to approach that correctly especially when you're coming back from a lower volume period so tell people about what happened so i was on a lower volume uh period because uh i'm still i'm I'm in my gap year and uh, it's hard to get into working out so i've been working out inconsistently uh and the last two, three weeks, I came up with a way to stay consistent in life 
basically I had a, I have a calendar which keeps me working out properly. But the workout that I written had written down is something I never actually did 100% of the time. And now I actually started doing 100% of the time. Meaning I was doing a lot of planches, a lot of Maltesers, and a lot of, you know, curls and stuff, which my body wasn't used to because I'm not doing it anymore. And then slowly I I, I, I had tendonitis uh, like one and a half years ago on both my brachial radialis. And I, I kind of felt a tightness on both of them. Just the very beginning stadium, you know, it, I, I caught it very early. And I was like, nope, <laughs> you got to stop, dude. You're going too fast. So... I put the brake on it. Back in the old days, I would have not done that. I would have been like, fuck that. Keep going. But now I stopped on time. And um, the lesson is basically, when you when you go from low volume to, to your own volume again, first check what is the difference in volume. Is it a big difference? Most of the time it is. And then you need to mm-hmm. gradually increase the volume. Right. Really gradually. And we've got guys you want to get back. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Is really, that you come to the site... You're going to have good guidance on how to do that. It's simpler yeah. than you think uh, for most of the time. And if you have trouble, we have consults available and we can help you do things if you are having trouble on your own. Yes, sir. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to Abdul. I hope we kind of covered your question uh yeah, the, the 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 short version <laughs> without all the discussion, uh, which we should, One I sentence. guess, splice in into a different video is uh, when you're dealing with motivation and uh, um, I keep thinking determination, but it's the wrong one. What was the other one? Discipline. Discipline. Yeah, geez. So you have to remember that neither one exists in a vacuum uh, and they're not. neither one is necessarily going to be there all the time. If you've lost motivation for a long time, it's probably because you no longer have dreams. Like you occasionally think about it, but you're not... You know, you what? Instead of saying yes, I am accomplishing this. I'm I'm moving forward, and I have a goal. You're saying I wish I was doing this. I miss doing. You're focused on the past. You're focused on the not doing, right? Because yeah. when you say I wish I was, what you're really saying is I am still not. And it's very important to have a clear internal dialogue. And once you yeah. recognize it, change the dialogue with action. The words are less important than what you do. And if you hear yourself saying things like, I wish I was doing this, stop, say, gosh, I'm still not doing that, am I? How can I move forward if I don't do something? And what is something? Anything that's not zero. Do four push-ups and walk away and say, I did push-ups today, and I'm going to do more tomorrow. We're we're not sponsored by Nike, but honestly, just do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, you know, and... and (laughs) It sounds simpler than it is, which is why I kind of wanted to mention that Yeah, yeah, yeah. if you don't get yourself in the mood by saying honestly to yourself, gosh, maybe maybe I've uh let my mind get out of line a little bit. Maybe I have gotten into a thought pattern set that isn't getting me where I want to go. And if you find yourself ever saying I wish I was, Change that to I am still not, and then immediately follow it up with I am going to do something today to get back on track. And I don't care if it takes 30 seconds. You can deal with hour-long workouts in the future. If you do 30 seconds today and you did zero seconds yesterday, you just did infinitely more. And it's very, very easy from there to build back up, and it doesn't take that long, right? So that's what you do. All right, let's 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 move on to the next topic. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Timothy Krejnik. Sorry, <laughs> he asks. These names. If I understand you, correctly, I know these names are hard. If I understand correctly, with a hypertrophy focused routine. Oh my god, I totally mispronounced that. Too. That's all right. <laughs> hypertrophy focused routine increasing volume over time is the number one factor. What should I aim for if I want my routine to be strength-focused? So not hypertrophy, but strength. Well, I would say that the first thing is to understand that hypertrophy is the largest component of strength. Um, the The size of a muscle directly correlates to how much force it is capable of producing. 
And that means that the size is the single biggest factor. And most importantly, it is the only thing that you can reliably modify long term. So, what is the other thing? Well, there are short term modifications that happen over the course of two to three months. And that's like uh, your intramuscular coordination when you go heavier with, low, with, with uh, lower reps and higher weight. And mm. so what that does is it coordinates all the muscle fibers so that like if you have 10 teams of 10, and that's not how it's organized, but it's easier to think about. Instead of mm. having like 7-2-1, you end up with like 8-1-1, over the course of 12 weeks. So what you've done is instead of, you know, saying having a maximum of 70% of the muscle mass working at one time, you'll have closer to 100%. And that allows the force to get added up. It causes a higher peak force, which means that your muscle didn't actually get stronger, but you got better at using it. So the weight that you move increases. And that's an important thing to understand about the short-term things like that. Um, the other thing that also happens relatively short-term in certain muscle groups are uh, pinnation angle changes. We've mentioned it before. That's basically where if you have a tendon like this and... Like so, for example, let me pull uh, the skeleton that I'm sending back over here for a second. I have a better one in the gym. Um, so, just kind of randomly pulling a knee up. It probably looks super weird. All right, so the knee is now on screen. All right, so everybody knows this is the outside. All the quadriceps, the fibers come at an angle. They're kind of like trapezoids where they don't pull straight back they pull like at an angle, right? So not all of that force that they produce is going straight this way. But the reason that's a good idea to have instead of straight muscles like biceps is that you can pack three to four times more uh, parallel fibers. So for example, it's like having 400 people working instead of 100 people working. You literally have more muscle fibers and that means that you have more total force production. You gain 400% or, or like 300% uh, in terms of working muscle fibers and the, the, the meaningful, what we call the physiological cross-sectional area. And you lose, you know, maybe 30-ish uh, percent of the maximal strength of each fiber. But mm -hmm. so you gained... 300%, if you lose 30%, you basically net you net something like 210 to 220% gains in that muscle group in terms of the strength by having it that way. The, the trade-off is that they have a shorter range of motion. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. And uh, so certain areas of the body, it is reasonable to do that. Others, it is not. And we can talk about that later. That's more of a uh, anatomy and biomechanics intersection. And it's it helps understand why certain muscle groups are important for certain athletes, uh, but that's a very high-level discussion. The important thing to understand is that those angles can change, and when they're more in line with the direction of movement, a higher percentage of the force gets transferred into movement. And so if you go from an angle of, say, like uh, 60 degrees, where you are losing more than half of your force, and uh, to an angle of 45, you're gaining something like, uh, I should do the signs on this real quick so that the math geeks don't slaughter me on this. Um, so we'll say, um, yeah, there we go. Oh, never mind. So we really want 30 sign. Yeah, so at, at 30 degrees, uh, or so basically when I say 30 degrees, if, if this vertical line, which I'm making with my hand, is directly in line, this is about a 45 degree pinnation angle. It's been, some muscles have been recorded as at much as 60 degrees in bodybuilders. And what they do is they, and so that means that only 30% uh, of the uh, force is, or, or well, that's really the wrong way to say it. Because the angle is 30 degrees, the way that the math works out, if that produces 100 pounds of force, 
50 pounds is pulling sideways, which is not producing motion, and 50 pounds is pulling in line. So effectively, you can only move 50 pounds. If you change that angle to uh, 45, then the difference is instead of a 50% reduction, you only get a 30% reduction. So you effectively became not just 20% stronger, but if you say, okay, I was moving 50 pounds, now I'm moving 70 pounds, right? Well, 70 divided by 50 is like, uh, what is this crap? I used to be able to do this stuff in my head so easily. Yeah, that's what I thought. 40% strength increase, right? But here's the thing. It's only a 20% increase in the utilization of the maximal force, right? So if that muscle produced the exact same force, you're able to use 20% more of the maximum. But if you were using 50% of the max, you go up to 70% of the max, then what happens is that the, the way the numbers work out, that changes a 50-pound lift into a 70-pound lift, right? So you just gained 20 pounds. Well, that's 40% gains over 50 pounds. And so that's where the numbers kind of throw people off, and that's where like having people who are a little more experienced with some of this stuff and are used to giving it, you can get better figures. The important thing is that that's a big increase, right? And that's why a lot of times if you go to something like a dedicated singles program, if you enter it correctly, and I'm not talking about dating, right? Um, talking about heavy lifts at like 90, 95%. And uh, what, you, what you end up doing is that you will have architectural changes in certain muscle groups. Not all muscle groups can do that, but a fair number can. And um, you know, the quadriceps and the calves are really one of the best examples, um, and specifically the gastrocnemius. Um, they can have massive shifts over the course of as little as two months. And so you can see a huge increase in power output with the appropriate programming changes. And that's why it's also why you find people like certain lifts go up much more than others. When you do things like this, like squats can nearly double. And the, like if you have always been doing high rep squats, you can be very, very surprised because here's the deal, right? If you are super inefficient and you are missing out on approximately 20% of the force that you could produce. If you were squatting 300 pounds, that would make your squat 360 pounds at, at minimum, right? Because again, this, this is a percentage of the maximum that your muscle could do. But then if there's an angle shift, like if you've been doing super high rep sets, like 20 pounds, and you are currently, you know, or, or sorry, 20 reps, and you're currently maxing out at like 450, which is not totally unreasonable. Those are pretty realistic numbers. If you were repping out 300, you probably, and, and you've never lifted heavy, your whole program is high rep, you're probably maxing out around, you know, 450. And then there's a lot of stuff that can start happening if you completely abandon the high rep stuff and shift just to really low rep training. You know, you have to shift it in slowly in order to do it totally safely. But um, when you're complete, even if you didn't gain any extra muscle mass between the angle shifts and the quadriceps, and the, um, uh, the, the better coordination, you can easily see your max go from, you know, 450 to probably 600. And that's, it, that gets really strong people in trouble sometimes because they don't understand that, okay, uh, this is nowhere near enough time for my attachment points to adapt. And so if I'm not very careful with the volume then I can get myself in real trouble. And, and the trouble isn't in those heavy lifts. You're not really going to necessarily do enough singles to hurt yourself. It's when you eventually go back to those higher rep lifts. And now you're lifting oh. like 400 pounds for sets of 15. And you're like, oh man, this is fantastic. Now you, ha now you have the ability to produce an extreme volume overload that is way, way, way beyond what you need or what you're really ready to handle safely. And that's where you run into injuries. And so... <clears throat> That's really where which, which, coaching services which, which, are very, very important. Yeah, but that brings us back to the question. He was asking, uh, should people focus on volume during hypertrophy? And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, he says, wait, let me, ref let me just... Well, he, uh, he doesn't know the question that he's asking. Here's what he's trying to what? ask. He's trying to no, ask... No, 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 wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, me, let me just say the question again. Yeah. So if I understand correctly, with hypertrophy focus routine... Increasing volume over the time is the number one factor. 
Now, what should I aim for if I want want my routine to be strength focused? Also, vo- also uh, yeah. volume or something else? It's still, I mean, so because hypertrophy is the biggest influence on strength long term, it's still your number yes, one goal. Okay. If you're looking for long term strength gains, if you're looking for short term yeah. strength gains, it is not what you're looking for. Uh, and so that's why what I was going to say is that he doesn't really know the question that uh he wants to ask because it's not specific enough it's do you if you want long-term strength gains then yeah you still should be focusing on hypertrophy if you want to constantly be running closer to your maximum strength potential that means that you'll be lifting heavier you might be using less reps with a higher percent one rep max the trick is whether or not your body actually responds well to that for growth um you may find that you get stronger for four or five months, and then all of a sudden it stops working. And what that tells you is that that is a good peaking strategy for you because it's a good peaking strategy for literally every human alive because that's how our nervous system adapts. But once, you're, once the angle changes are done and once your body has learned the coordination, you're really kind of left with at a glass ceiling unless you get bigger again. And that's, that's the thing that nobody wants to believe. Uh, I don't know why. It's like... No matter what you do, if you have a four-cylinder engine that produces a certain compression ratio, no matter what you do with your gears, and no matter what you do with uh, anything else that you put into that car, if you don't put a bigger engine in, you're just going to be limited. There's only so much you can do. There are temporary things, but you cannot Mm -hmm. increase your maximum torque without putting a bigger engine in. You know, All you can do is maximize the efficiency of the machine you currently have and you run out of options on that pretty quickly. And it's the same thing is true for human bodies. Eventually, it just needs to get a little bigger. All right. Well, I think we covered that question. Uh, I hope, I hope uh, let me see, what was the name again? Timothy Krejcinik. <laughs> Sorry again. Mm. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, I hope we covered that well for you. Moving on to the next question. And I think this will be the last question for this podcast. Um, let me choose a nice one. Mm-hmm. Actually, let's just go with this one because, you know, let's just go for just it. Just let it flow, man. It's Yeah, it's it's Alan. Alan says, I don't have a full 180-degree shoulder flexion for handstands. Okay. For So for a full shoulder flexion, 120 degrees comes from the, from the uh, glenohumeral joint <laughs> and 60 degrees from upward scapular <laughs> rotation. Joshua's laughing right now. I, I, I yeah, uh, we'll get there in a minute. Don't laugh at him. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just okay. Listen, just let me get the skeleton again. All right. Um, what do we have on? So, but is it? it here's the deal. Is it? I'm, I'm just okay. gonna shift the camera real quick. So I'm gonna step off. Uh, can can you describe it for the people who only listen? Yeah, for the people who only listen, what I'm doing is demonstrating where bony impingement starts if the scapula doesn't move. The reason that I laughed uh, is is not because it was a dumb question. It's a great question. Uh, I laughed because the truth is that this is one of the most misunderstood things in uh, any discussion relating to shoulder movement. So this is a basically very neutral shoulder. If I... and you notice there's a, there's a space issue here, right? This is not the best skeleton, which is part of why I'm sending it back. When I lift up to 90, look at look at where this look at what's going on. This is this is at 90 right here, okay? There is basically no space left here. These bones are touching each other. Like if I'm in a handstand, right? Because this is this this is the alignment. If I'm here, then and I try and go up past like you know 90, 100 degrees, I am going to be causing a lot of pain. In fact, this is how we, this is, this is something you can do to uh, lose your license and intentionally damage somebody, which would be retarded because that's how much pressure there is. Uh, if you were to, if you immobilize a shoulder blade and you lift up on somebody, once they get to like 90, 100 degrees, they're in pain. Even somebody who's not injured, they can tell this ain't right. There's not a lot of space under there. Um, so the shoulder actually starts moving almost immediately. You can get up to about 90 degrees, technically speaking, without any uh, uh, scapular movement, but that would be really dumb. And so our shoulder blades move anyways to protect us because when they move, 
this bone right here, which is called the acromion, it lifts up. And so instead of being here, this, this skeleton, does, the shoulder blade doesn't move, so, which is part of why I'm sending it back. But you can see how if I'm here, even if I just you know, simulate the lift, I can go further. So it, it kind of gets out of its own way. And that's really the basic point that you need to understand about shoulder movement, is that <coughs> there's not a um, magic number that you want to think about limiting your body. You want to let it move the way it was designed to move. Okay. So that you are always training in a way that's going to benefit what you're looking for. You know, so there are exceptions for bodybuilders and a lot of times you'll see the guys who are really locking the scapula down, they don't go up past 60, 70 degrees because they have very likely learned through experience that doesn't feel very good. So there are a lot of specialized things in uh, non-performance sports that you could do uh, that, that do have a place sometimes. But when it comes to handstand training, the biggest thing is learning to control your rib cage. And that's what allows your body to sort of learn correct shoulder movement. So I, I just don't understand. Um, remind me again what the, what the question was. Yes, I wasn't done actually saying the question. So uh, first off, he started off with saying he doesn't have 180 degree shoulder flexion. Yeah. And then he's, he uh, explains that full shoulder flexion, uh, 110 degrees comes from the glenohumeral. Yeah, it's 60 wrong. degrees comes from the upward scapular rotation. Yeah, that's, and then also, he asks, that's all wrong. How, how do I know if uh, I, uh, the, that the range of motion that I'm lacking from is either from the glen? So how do I know it's from the glenohumeral or it's the scapula? It's always, okay. It's always that's, that's scapular. That's his question, basically. Yeah. It's always scapular. Yeah. It's, it's and a, how, how do I go about, you know, getting, increasing that range of motion? There are a lot of ways to approach that. Um, the, which way will work best for you depends heavily on whether your problem is more of a true flexibility issue or whether you have compensation patterns. And when you have compensation patterns, and, and that's, a, that's a broad, meaningless term until I define it. So when you create you know, a vertical arm by arching your back and you know, lifting your head way up like this, then what ends up happening is your, your rib cage is shifting, your shoulders not moving. And so your body kind of learns that when you're in that position, it doesn't want to go further. That's kind of how all of our um, joint proprioception based reflexes work is when they enter a place that is not familiar. They send uh, excitatory signals to the, uh, basically to the antagonistic movement and uh, they damp down the agonist. So like if you're lifting up, your lats kind of turn on and, and which people have probably experienced this. And um, the scapular musculature kind of shuts down a little bit and the wrong ones start working because your body says, whoa, whoa, I haven't been here. I don't like it. Uh, I need to just not move anymore. Um, in that case, a lot of those people, they need to relearn what we'll call mobility, meaning active control of movement, because that's the part that's screwing them up those people tend to get impingement when they try to stretch hard and they tend mm -hmm. to not see the best results from just stretching. So there's a more integrated approach for that. And some of it is just learning uh, a good overhead press seated. I'm not a fan of standing overhead press these days. Uh, Why is that? It's very, whoa, very, whoa, whoa. It's, it's just very easy to cause back injuries and to sort of you, reinforce lower back injuries. Yeah. Lower back. And it's all yeah, it makes sense. I, I feel that. Yeah, and and it's also um, it kind of forces you into a pattern that you don't necessarily want to do, and um, the it's very it, the bottom line is that it ends up being very high risk at higher weights relative to the strength you stand to gain. Whereas you could gain the exact same shoulder strength 
with correct seated shoulder presses and run into basically none of the safety issues. So when you have a choice like that, I think that it's very easy. The only exception would be people in strongman competitor events. And even there, the bulk of the lifting, I would say, would would still benefit from being seated. And you always keep a certain amount of standing in so you can kind of work on your technique, make sure you keep it good. And then you transition as you get to close to competition so that you know, you're able to do things, but you minimize... You can't eliminate, but you minimize your unnecessary injury risk, right? So Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So the answer is that there's some people will find stretching helps. Some people will find, for example, that, and I think a good way to figure this out is that if your mobility is, if you're able to keep your chin tucked to your chest and tuck up in a pull-up and hang from your arms like in a dead hang and achieve a much more open shoulder position with much less uh, discomfort or no discomfort than you can when you try and do stretches, then mobility is your big problem. And your body has literally been programmed to work against itself, and you need to undo that. Uh, if you find that they're fairly similar and that you really don't notice a big difference, then because you're going to find it, well, I can already do this in a hang. How come this is, uh, this is an issue? And it's, it's because you just haven't learned how to shut down the lats during the pull-up, they're, they're still working. You know, you're just allowing them to lengthen. But they're still, that's really what you're hanging off of is your shoulders and your lats. Um, the, the whole pattern is very different from an overhead press. And so when you find that your ability to maintain position is way different, then you need a more mobility-based uh, approach, which means that static stretches won't help so much it's more about an integrated approach that involves direct pressure on limiting movements and uh, limiting muscles and then progressive exercises that let you learn to move correctly. And that's, that's really what does the trick. So it's one way or the other for most people. That's it. Yeah. Alan. So I'm not saying that stretches are bad. I'm just saying <laughs> that they're not necessarily going to do you the most good if if the if the true flexibility is less of an issue than positional control, does that make sense? Makes sense. It makes sense. It makes sense. Alan, your question has been answered. We have answered a bunch of questions, and I think that's enough for the first podcast. Thank you guys for sending those questions in. We love answering them. Um, we hope you're excited for Labco Fitness as much as we are, and. Josh, you want to say a nice goodbye? Bye-bye. No. Uh, <laughs> Bye, y'all. <laughs> no, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, subscribe to the feed. Keep up with us. And tell your friends about the things that you're learning here. And uh, go out and do the things that you dream about. I want you... I right, mean, guys. it's weird stuff. But, you know, when it comes <laughs> to chasing your dreams and, you know, they're wholesome, go for it. Alrighty, guys. Have a good one. Later. If you enjoy the podcast, remember, there are plenty more podcasts on www.labcofitness.com. And remember, if you want to submit questions, that's the place to do it. See you next time.